0: Welcome to the Consortium Podcast, an academic audio blog of Kepler Education. Kepler is a consortium of independent classical Christian educators unified by a shared vision for student flourishing. Hi, I'm Scott Postman, president of Kepler Education. I'm your host and I'm joined by Joffrey Swaite, co-host, and he's our academic advisor. And Joffrey, we're going to be talking a lot today about the resurrection and Easter and education and yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean it's Easter time and actually the Kepler spring break is just about upon us. Yes. So this uh, this coming Sunday is Easter. You guys will be listening to this midweek just before Easter. You'll be getting ready for your your Monday Thursdays and your Good Fridays and be thinking about some of your family traditions. But before we get to family Easter traditions, this is the academic audio journal of kepler we're going to start sort of academically we're going to talk about the meaning of uh, the resurrection and the meaning of stories and dare we say myth when we talk about the education the raising of our children and eventually that'll that'll mean that we're going to get to uh, you know are traditions that may or may not involve brightly colored plastic eggs?
0: They could, yes. Well, yeah, so we're, we're really talking about how orthodoxy informs our orthopraxy, to mm-hmm. be real erudite there. But, you yeah, know, the idea that Christianity um, is true, you know, the true myth or true stories we want to talk about because the resurrection is real. Without the resurrection, then really Christianity is nothing more than another myth, another story.
1: Yeah, and in fact it would be better off for us if we didn't believe this and, and let it shape our lives right. if it weren't true, right? <laughs> um, so, you know, I think it's important is you know, from the off, uh, to, to, to kind of clarify what you're just saying about, you know, so Christianity and the Christian story, the story of the resurrection of Jesus, particularly being true. And by particularly, I, I'm, I sort of mean, because Paul talks about how uh, we'd be, we'd be much better off if it weren't true to right. abandon all this mm-hmm. nonsense. Right? right. But it is true. But then some people would say, if it is true, then it's not a myth. Right. And, and right. because of how they define what a myth is, how do we want to define a myth? Because we want to say that it's true right. and it's a myth.
0: Well, so the word myth comes from mythos or means, which means story. And I, I like C.S. Lewis's definition. And um, many of you, our listeners, know the story of. Tolkien's influence on C.S. Lewis. Right. And really convinced him and showed him that Christianity is the true myth that all other stories point to. You right. Know? And and if they are true stories, then they will affirm the true myth. And if they're false stories, then, you know, obviously they're they're contradicting the true myth. But Christianity is the true myth. And so myth doesn't necessarily mean it's a false story.
1: Right. Myths shape culture. Right. Right. Which is why postmodernist philosophers have argued back and forth. And in fact, uh, some some philosophers that you and I would approve of because they're trying to fight for an absolute truth. And postmodernists will say, well, m- what myths do is they they are uh, through foundational stories or through like, you know, they're, they're giving reasons for behavior because there is no real truth. Everything is narrative and meta narrative. Yeah. Um, Then myths are tools for manipulation for good or evil. Sure. But then, so so then some philosophers came back and said, well, no, what we need is we need myth killers, we need to kill myth. Myth is bad. Um, and, and we have a little bit of, of that in us, I think, but what we need to do instead is to embrace that, you know, myth does in fact shape cultures and take you in a direction. They're more than just stories. They're the sort of story that tell you why things are the way they are and where they must go. Um, and so I love that Lewis, I mean, you know, Lewis highly influenced by Tolkien. Tolkien wrote the Lord of the Rings to be a mythology for England, Mm -hmm. which was a, you know, a a hybridized nation, right? That had no real mythology. What mythology All English people embrace a sort of Celtic. So I want to create a myth, even if it doesn't like take on like for me, I, I want to have this myth for England, the sort of story that would change a culture. And give trajectory to a culture. So I mean, the, uh, myth permeated their lives at every level, right. right? And so then C.S. Lewis becomes a Christian, and ends up th- saying things like, you know, and got on, got on got on the dock. And so one of the themes that Lewis always hit a lot was uh, you know, the story of Baldur the beautiful, mm-hmm. right? And the dying God, and, th- and the fact that we have the ultimate dying God. So for okay. him, all these myths pointed to the one truth, the one and, true and, myth. And, you know, and not to say that they were true themselves in some lesser way. A lot of them were straight up lies. Mm-hmm. Right. But they pointed to the reality of the myth show. So I thought I'd read you a couple of C.S. Lewis yeah, quotes. Do that. So one's from God in the Dock. The heart of Christianity is a myth which is also a fact. The old myth of the dying God, without ceasing to be a myth, comes down from the heaven of legend and imagination to the earth of history. Mm-hmm. Right. So that history is a touching point that's very important. And then a quote from Surprised by Joy. Here and here only in all time, the myth must have become fact. The word flesh, God, man. This is not a religion nor a philosophy. It is the summing up and actuality of them all. So, well, we live. You know, like, you know, Christianity. Is it a philosophy? Is it a way of life? No, it's much more profound than that. It's a reflection of how God made the world, wants it to be, and what he calls us to be. We're not simply trying to live a certain way. We are being made into new creatures. We're, you know, we are looking forward to the resurrection. All things will be made new. It's got to be deeper than just an alternative to Buddhism.
0: Right. Well, and that's – so you were mentioning earlier about some of the um, philosophers who wanted, you know, to kill myth. And and because myths do shape culture, what we want to say with Lewis is that, you know, Christianity is that, you know, it's that true myth that is – really informs us of the way things are, the state of things, right? Mm -hmm. And so with the fact that Christ is – indeed, you know, the God-man did resurrect indeed, in fact, um, doesn't make it less of a myth. It is the story. It is the narrative that shapes culture. And it's not a narrative that's shaping culture in competition with, you know, other fabricated myths. In, In terms of you know, deconstructionalist, The idea is that myths are just power plays, right? So whoever controls the narrative, right? And and we can look and and see some of that happening in our modern political, absolutely you know, s- situation. But Which if we, is,
1: by, by the way, t- uh, I mean, c- kind of an aside, but this touches on stuff that we've talked about before. It is in the interest of people like that to forget history.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Right, And right. that
1: that's why we often react negatively against myth, because right. myth is opposed to history in those people's minds. They have to get rid of all that so they can write their own story.
0: Right. Because that in in their mind, you know, whoever's telling that story, whoever's telling that history, yeah. there's a heritage, there's a flow. So therefore, you know, you have if you erase it, then you can start over and tell the story. Exactly you right.
1: And so we have to realize we have something in common with people like that, as hateful as they may be. We're all trying to make the world new.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is what the resurrection has done for mm-hmm. us, right? The new humanity. That's right. Well, I think one of one of the ways that we could look at this and, and really root this idea in scripture, you know, so we we know the resurrection happened in history and um, if we look at Scripture for an example, uh, the Book of Romans, uh, one of one of my favorite books, I think probably a lot of Christians love the Book of Romans. It's not a theological treatise, surprisingly, because it's so chock full of of theology. A lot of people think it's more of a theological treatise, but it really is a letter to the church at Rome, and. A really interesting way to read the book of Romans is to see it in its chiastic structure mm. and to see the way Paul begins from chapter one leading up to chapter eight. Chapter eight is the complete pinnacle of what the resurrection
1: means. Can we get a 30 second uh, explanation of what a chiasm is.
0: Yeah, so chiasm comes from the the Greek uh, what the Greek letter chi that looks like an X, you know, in 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 English, and so the idea of a chiasm means that when you when you write a story, a letter, poetry, that there's sort of a parallelism uh, that it reflects. So you usually it's you know kind of symmetrical in terms of. Um, you know, like the two legs of the X, you know, you mm-hmm. kind of move into an idea and then you work your way back out once you make the, you know, the ultimate point. And the ultimate point um, is Romans chapter eight. And I won't take time to, you know, you know, exposit the entire book, uh, the, the letter that Paul wrote, but in Romans chapter eight, verse 31, he says, well, he starts chapter eight, you know, with this statement, there is therefore now no condemnation For those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And then he goes on and and sort of recaptures everything that he said. And then in verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? So, you know, this, it it always, when I read it, uh, it always reminds me of Francis Schaeffer's, you know, how then should we live? Mm -hmm. You know, in essence, that's what Paul's saying. So what do we say to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He For your sake, we're killed all the day long. we were regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other uh, or anything else in cre- all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I know that's a long passage I just read there. and I. Stumbled because I'm used to reading in the King James Version. But uh, the idea here that, that Paul is summarizing is saying this the resurrection produces a new humanity, right? Mm-hmm. Christianity is the introduction of the new humanity. This is a humanity that is rooted in the gospel, the God man being the first fruits of this resurrected life, right? right. And that informs everything, including and especially education
1: so now we come to it
0: yeah yeah
1: yeah and so that that means that well the stuff you just said is something we need to transmit to our children
0: yeah this is the story this is the true myth what paul wrote to the romans that is you know what we're calling the true myth or you know see us words
1: and you know you, you don't have you the beloved listener you don't have to use the word myth as we are using it. But what we're trying to convey by using the term ourselves is this is more than just a tale. Right. 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 And not simply recounting something, you know, even if it's something significant, what I am doing is telling the sort of story that explains why the why says, where is it going? Mm -hmm. Right. So, and then it's part of, of the story of creation and there's a new creation has to exist in this mythic context and that that story however you know whatever term we end up using to to describe the story is something that we need to put our children in right we need to contextualize it for them and the trajectory part of it is very important right so myths explain where we're going what's going to happen with our people that's right right so we need to tell our children that as we walk, walk along the way, we're going to be teaching them the law. We're going to tell them the stories of how we were liberated from Egypt, mm-hmm. right? And so we're, we're we're contextualizing them, not simply to place them in the world, but to point them in the right direction, right? And so they have to, it's not simply when we point them in the right, in the right direction, we're not going to simply say, well, here's a list of rules, follow them. And that'll cause you to. You know, trip your way down the right, uh, right. To, in the right direction. No, instead, what we're saying is, this is the cosmic direction, and this is your direction. This is where you fit in it, and now you know, you need to continue telling the story. You're a part of it yourself. You're a part of this myth.
0: Yeah, you've entered into this myth, right? You right. you you get to enter into this story. And and two things come to my mind as you just explained that. Um, so the very first thing in Deuteronomy that Moses tells him, he gives it what the you know, what's known as the Shema, you yeah. know, hero Israel, the Lord our God is one God. And you're supposed to teach this to your children. And when you're right. rising up when you're when you're going to bed and you know, so this is this is what education looks like, right? Yes. And in our modern world, when when we look at the task of an educator, you know, a lot of a lot of folks are you know, are arguing, and and this comes back to what C.S. Lewis was saying, that we want to be careful about the stories that our kids, and, and there is a care that we want to take, but we want to continue to tell the stories that tell that story. Yes. And right.
1: you know, and one of the most important aspects about about that passage, which is what I was referencing and yeah. you know, walking down the road and, and talking yeah. about Egypt, um, that is a is a foundational uh, passage for how both Scott and I think about. Education, right and I think now's a good moment to you know to talk briefly about Kepler
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, because we are for homeschoolers, right right uh, And so you know what what Kepler proposes is to bring a community of masters right um, to, and to, that it can be made available to homeschooling families. but we all believe, That education is what happens on that road.
0: That's right. Right. You take your son. That is
1: education. Right. That is education. Um, Now, and of course, we realize that education is not only you and your son walking down a path. Right. That's how it starts. And that's the core of it. But of course, it's going to expand and it's going to grow from that. Eventually, your son Will be sitting at the at the city gate with the other elders, right? Right,
0: and it's the parent who is introducing them to yes. these other elders and masters, and the and parent people. who is responsible, right? That's right. right. Uh, yeah. You know, but
1: it's so it's when, when 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 we're talking about all this myth and the storytelling stuff, um, you know, it, it will begin to occur to you how you know you may or may be interacting with with Kepler through this, but it, you know, the important thing for both of us is that this is what the what the family has to do the family has to be telling this story this myth and putting their children in that context and then we want to help
0: right and and i think one of the fundamental parts of of what you were just talking about is that it's not an option and and right. it's it's not an option that because it's not this is just if a if you're story. not telling this myth you're lying. This, right. Right. You're
1: there's, there, there's, right. There's, and and yeah, sorry.
0: Well, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes maybe just to kind of, to bring this back around in, in a real simple way, you know, you hear p- people say something like, well, I'm just going to let my kids grow up and and think for themselves and learn for themselves. Right. No, everyone is telling a story yep. and lots of people are telling a false story. Right. And so our goal as educators, you know, as, you know, parents is to educate our children by telling the stories and all of life is telling that story. Yes. Everything from the meals that we cook to the, you know, the, the traditions and rituals that we have in our family. There is
1: no neutrality. Right. Now that doesn't mean, and this is another drum we beat all the time. That doesn't mean that you and I have to do things the exact same way because there's right. only one correct procedure. Right. Right. But, but we're going to recognize that we're telling the same the same story yeah. to our children, but we're maybe in different parts of it or we're emphasizing certain, you know, there can be a lot, there can be a, a lot of difference, but we still have to, we're, since we're part of the same people, we're still going to be telling that same story, the well, same myth.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm going to bring back your, your river illustration. You know, we're in the same water. It's got banks, but that water is going deep. somewhere. Yeah. And it's going to the same direction. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it, it needs to be there, which, you know, so C.S. Lewis says that the task of the modern educators, not to cut down jungles, but to irrigate deserts, right? Mm. So we we need to be telling these stories, um, and and telling these stories in every aspect of life. And and there's some practical ways. So when you when you think in terms of education, so well how does math fit into this? How does science fit into it? And we could summarize some of that. And you know, Galileo talked about the two books that God wrote, right? There's the book of scripture and there's the book of nature. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about education in the more formal sense, that isn't the part of education that we should just relegate and abdicate that to somebody else, pagans right. to tell that part of the story.
1: So what that makes me think of is, you know, it, it's it's difficult to be a parent. It's difficult mm-hmm. to be a Christian parent. But you know, I, I think that it's it's sometimes uh, Christian parents are, are tempted to compartmentalize and separate how they think of education separate how they think of education from how they think about uh, their children's growth and sanctification right and so they realize that to one degree or another depending (laughs) on their theology (laughs) that they have an an impact on this and a responsibility to have an impact in this Uh, but then they think to themselves well math science even philosophy um, that's going to be their education i need to be concerned Basically, for their piety, Mm -hmm. right? I'm going to help lead them to Jesus. And and that's good, that second part. But that compartmentalization is bad. When you say compartmentalization, be sure to compartment the syllables from each other, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, that compartmentalization is bad. uh, Because uh, as parents, our responsibility in educating is, is more than to... If we think of it as directionally, it's not simply to, quote, unquote, lead them to Christ. Our responsibility is to make them the, the most Christ-like humans we can make them, make them right. the most human we can make them, to whatever degree we can have that impact, right? It's still, all, it, is, it is, of course, all by grace, but that means that if our child has a gift towards the mechanical sciences, right? Then we should foster that for Jesus' sake, because because he was made. Your child was made a certain way, and well, let, so let yeah. me.
0: I just want to interrupt you before you go too far down that river uh, a, little, a little bit further, because you said something really good that I, I think that this compartmentalization that a good lot job, of times, by the way. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I had to think very carefully. I yeah. said <laughs> uh, this compartmentalization happens, um, and, and I don't know who told this story first. All right, but it is a myth. Uh, that has has uh, been told in this sense. Here's the way that a lot of people look at it. So what you're just describing is you know bringing our children to Christ. that's Sunday school, right? But Monday school needs to be right. left to the to the to the experts and I recall one of the first schools that we started uh, was a church school. It was under the umbrella of the church. It was an extension of the ministry. And we ended up in a hearing before the city council and all this. And, you know, and so they were trying to argue like, okay, you can use the building on Sundays to educate children, but you can't have them in the building on Mondays. And, you know, so what we argued and in, in the way in we ended up winning this, this hearing is that, you know, m- we don't separate you know, you are, you know, artificially telling a story that that Monday through Friday, this building operates differently oh. because of the school than it does on Sunday. And that's
1: a story that's being broadly told. Right. And too many of us are accepting. Yeah, we right? accept
0: this compartmentalization. And sometimes
1: we accept them in ways that that sneak up on us. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, <laughs> I mean, a, a sort of a, a an off to the side example. But, you know, so uh, my wife will, will occasionally uh, tell me that you know, like so you know we're not feminists, okay, so everyone out there knows <laughs> <laughs> yes. but yeah, but, uh, you know my wife, this hasn't happened in a while, but um, you know she is not a feminist and and hasn't been since she became a Christian, but there were just certain modes of thinking because of how she was raised mm-hmm. because that she was educated in government schools. That she would suddenly come to a realization that something she'd been doing or thinking for years was unchristian, anti-Christian, even. And she'd been living her story. life toward Christ. But exactly. Yes. Exactly. Um, and so these these things can can sneak up on us. Right. So we can tell ourselves, yes, education needs to be Christian. And but we still end up doing this, this compartmentalization thing because that's the the overarching myth of the world. Right. There it
0: is there. That is the myth that the world tells us. And we don't even realize how those stories have creeped into our life and the way we do things until, you know, we, and and that's one of the parts of growth and sanctification for all believers. Mm -hmm. So I imagine there's even some families listening that would think, well, you know, um we're not ready to take on this responsibility of of homeschooling our children. And and I don't say this to be unkind or to be confrontational, but the moment those children were born as you know, as a Christian, they that was your responsibility. Yeah. That's all of our responsibility. And you know <laughs> and there's people to help. Yeah. And that's what there are people to help. To
1: and that's the thing that, you know, it's I mean, I may sound a little bit like the rugby coach that I am when I say <laughs> this, but yeah, uh, I, I, when I say, when I say things like this to families, and, and I do, uh, not necessarily on behalf of Kepler, but you know, people have been asking me about homeschooling for years, and so and and when when you know, I don't know how we can do it. I don't know if my wife can quit her job, or I don't. know It seems kind of overwhelming, et cetera, or whatever, whatever the barriers may be. And, and a lot of this, actually, a lot of these conversations happen with Brazilians, where it's way more legitimate to bring in the economical barriers. Right, right. It really is. It's a it's a big thing. But then the question I have to ask is: Let's say that you were forced by external circumstances tomorrow to homeschool. You had no other option, okay, for whatever reason—some intense persecution, a special earthquake that only knocked down the schools came along. Whatever, <laughs> uh, maybe uh, uh, maybe a global epidemic shut down the schools. Right? I, I love all the four
0: arguments, sake <laughs> scenarios that we could come up with.
1: Well, it's because I eventually wanted to get yeah. to COVID. A lot of families found themselves <laughs> in this position. Yes, right um so if if you were forced to do this tomorrow you had no other option could you do it yeah you could Mm -hmm. and what steps would you take you'd look for help yeah you would right right Right. like you can do this yes you really can And, and and not in some desperate sort of last chance thing like i just like i just drew but like you it's it's not as it is not as far from you as you think
0: well and one of one of the obstacles that i think that um, maybe would be helpful to overcome is when we think of I can't do this, sometimes we're thinking of it in the context of maintaining the kind of way of life that we do. And I don't mean right. just like financial, you know, status and, or, or economic status, but I mean the structure of life as it has been handed to us and told us this is the yes, way Yes, your you days you
1: are regimented it. in a certain way. Yes, right. so you've got,
0: you know, Monday through Friday from, you know, uh, 8 a.m. to 3 or whatever time the kids go to school. That's not – And and we can go all the way back to what we were just talking about in, in the old Testament. That is not how education works. Education is as they're rising up and laying down. I mean, you, you have complete control because you're the parent.
1: Right. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Education ultimately is how your family lives their life together. That's right. And yes, it should involve chemistry, but it should certainly involve myth, right? Your children want to know why they're here and what they're doing in the world.
0: Well, I'm going to, I'm going to throw you a curveball here. So, one of the questions often that a teacher, a parent, you know, has to answer for a student who's frustrated with his algebra. Why do I ever have to <laughs> learn this? You know, I'll never right. use it again in my life. How do you answer that in, in terms of story, in terms of the myth? How, how would you answer a child who's struggling and says, why do I ever have to know this? How does this help my life?
1: Yeah. Well, I'll preface the answer by saying that I often have the greatest sympathy with that child. <laughs> <laughs> uh, really, I mean, yeah. there, there is. And, but but, but and, and part of that is because we've been trained to accept that there are things that, that, that things will be done to us educationally. Right. with no actual connection to the real world, this right. busy work, right? Or
0: we, and, and we try to tie it to utilitarian answer, right? Exactly, yeah.
1: right. And so, you know, we, we shouldn't do that at all, right? The reason you are taking Algebra 2, even though you can do all the math you'll ever need to do in your head, mm-hmm. right, for the rest of your life, the, the path you're going to take, you're already good, is that we want you to be a certain kind of person.
0: Mm-hmm. That's right? right.
1: And we want you to be mm-hmm. shaped in a certain way, and the wisdom of generations has led us to have the confidence in saying, you need to submit yourself to this and be shaped in this way. So find a way to enjoy it, you know? Yeah. Um well, now, and it's and,
0: part of God's story though.
1: Right. Exactly. I mean, when when
0: when you study algebra, it's a certain language about spatial, it's a language for understanding spatial math, which is right. part of God's cosmos. So one way to learn to enjoy it, even if you're not going to use it in a utilitarian sense, yep. is to understand that this is part of the story.
1: Right, exactly. So, you know, but it's it, what, what it's one of the things that it's doing regarding the story. It's not, it's not just that you're learning how other people have learned to describe creation. I mm-hmm. think math is a great way to talk about uh, sure. creation being described. It's a way to sharpen your own acuity, your own perception. It is. You can understand the world God made better. Yep, that's and right. And that's what we want for you. Yes,
0: absolutely. There's a, a critical thinking skill that comes which is part of that liberal thinking we've been talking about. Right, yeah, exactly yeah. right. And, so,
1: you know, and your your classmate may be, you know, may end up in deepened in the throes of calculus and physics and, you know, have certain aspects of the cosmos illuminated to him that will not be illuminated <laughs> to you. But you at least got a little taste.
0: Right. You, right? Got, you, you, you got can some see
1: ex- the world differently than if you hadn't gotten to study algebra.
0: And I think students, you know, all of us should have as much exposure to God's story, the created, you know, order As is possible, as is is reasonably possible, even if you're not going to interact in every single part of that for your whole life, right? So so to be exposed to it itself is a kind of an education. So, okay, so story, obviously rooted in the gospel. Paul gives us this new humanity. This is the story, the true story, the true myth. This shapes everything, including the way we educate our family. And I would even say that, you know, and, and Paul does this in his letter to the Ephesians, It reshapes paideia. The word Mm. paideia, um, he gives a new definition to paideia. Paideia is that shaping or enculturation of a student to the citizenship. And he qualifies that to the under the Lord. So it's you're really, you know, the paideia of the Lord is to shape students and that's parents responsibility in the kingdom of the Lord. right? Right. So, okay, so we have this new paideia. We are telling the story. I would even go on to say, well, this could, we could work this into some of the practical parts and and this is where I wanted to move into. So what are some of the practical ways? And maybe even we move from there into how does this look for Easter? How do we tell the story or how are we telling stories? How do we tell these stories to our kids and in regular everyday life, you know, outside of sitting at the table, doing math or, you know, you know, reading.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, uh, the, the the story of the resurrection um, is obviously such an integral part of, you know, so uh, we, uh, we've already talked about how our Christian faith depends upon it. Right. Right. Uh, but in, in the large myth that gives the people of God their place in the universe, right, starting with creation, uh, it's, it's a key part of that. Mm-hmm. right so the story of the resurrection is a key part of the big myth the big story and so of course we as christians all, all, all recognize that we need to to be sharing the story with our kids but in what manner mm-hmm. do we share it right do we you know i, I love a lot of the little kids books the sure. sunday schooly looking kids books with the fun illustrations and they'll look the you know the the stone is rolled away etc those are great yeah um but is that sort of the, is is what we're getting basically that, like, you know, a version of that for 15-year-olds, a version of that for you and I who are middle-aged, right? right? Um, or is it contextualizing us? And particularly what I what I mean is this. So something that in, in my family uh, we certainly try to do, we try to talk around the year like a people, like an ethnicity, mm. right? I mean, okay. ethne is the right. word that's yep. used that's right. in the New Testament. And so... Uh, And so in Easter is, is a culmination of that. Sure. Right. So talking to your children and behaving toward your children as if you are one people, not some sort of ethereal, like, you know, we're, we're Americans or we're French or whatever it is. Um, Philosophically higher than that. We're Christians. No, no, no. Like by blood, let's talk about it. Like, like it's real because it is real. Um, We can be American as you know, mm-hmm. ethnically as if that were a thing, but we can be American. <laughs> um, but our our strongest ethnic identity yeah. our, as a people is that we're Christians, which means that I'm in the same ethne as a bunch of Malaysians. Right. Right. That's right. But then but then talking to our children that way to acculturate them, mm-hmm. right? To inculcate that that in them, where it's just part of, and this is this is the benefit of myth. It's a part of the reality around them. Yes. Right. It's, it's not something uh, that has to be put on or, or consciously, like, you you know, most, most of us, I think, have to be reminding ourselves, oh yeah, yeah, I'm one people with, with those people over there. Cause it's not natural. It's not instinctive, but we could make it instinctive for our children.
0: It can be. And I, going back to Romans chapter eight, that's exactly what the apostle Paul is doing. When he's writing this letter to the church at Rome, recall that, you know, uh, the Jews were driven out of Rome. Um, yep. uh, Cassius, I think it was, or um, i trying to remember the emperor, but uh, uh, drove the Jews out of Rome. And so the church at Rome became largely Gentile. Mm-hmm. And when the Jews came back, there was lots of division here in the church between these two different ethnicities. And Paul's talking about the wall of partition that's broken down. He's talking about how that they are are one people in Christ. And this sometimes is troubling for folks, but you know, if it's gonna be challenging, I guess, but but to think about this, my allegiance, you know, I, I'm I am an American, but my allegiance is to the people of God. It's a higher allegiance, mm-hmm. you know, than it is in, than it is to being in an America, and that's where sometimes you know that gets into political issues and things. But that's the story that our our kids need to hear. That's right? right. In all of these stories that we're telling, in in the way that we're doing life, so talking to your children as a people,
1: and yeah, and so and and so every ethne has. Uh, has their stories the things that explain this is how we who we came to exist uh, and this is where we're going right these are these are all the things that come into play and some of it might be you know this is how this island came to be here this is this is why the leopard has its spots this way (laughs) right yeah it can be it can be some of that but uh, myths explain the world but then that touches i think uh uh, it touches our family pedagogically Mm -hmm. right so how are you going to tell these stories how are you going to tell these stories that bind that bind us together and the way it may happen in Russia or the United States or in Malaysia or Chile will will be different mm-hmm. the way it may happen in Washington state or Florida may be different the way it may happen between you and I right, may, may be, be different, different. Sure. And so in in our show prep. You uh, you were talking about how um, one of, you know, you had these Easter eggs with all these treats in them, but one of them was empty. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it symbolized the, the empty tomb. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, I heard that and I was like, man, I mean, so it's one less treat. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but no, but that's, that works. That's beautiful because, that, you know, every year you expect that. Yeah. Right. So, uh, you know, my my wife decided to you know, initiate a, a, a tradition that she had heard that others did. Um, where they, they run through this we do this with the younger kids uh, we have these little plastic eggs um, with different objects in them that relate you know different parts of the easter story so eventually the kid can tell the easter story themselves nice. these little plastic eggs and the last egg is empty right <laughs> yep. Uh so that that last day you know you've, you've you're every day you're adding to the, you're able to tell more and more of the story as as the kid And then the last day oh the tomb is empty and um, you know, we, we do a lot of traditions that are not pedagogical to kind of to emphasize how important Easter is because we really are. We're trying to we're trying to show our world this our, our children, this world, this cosmos. Right. But, you know, there I think there are, there are definitely ways in which the way we educate our kids, you know, both practically and theoretically is, is, is going to hit Easter it's going to hit the resurrection
0: absolutely and and I don't think this is too much of an aside but it isn't i mean it's it is a little bit of an aside but I think that's why it's important for Christians to, in some manner, follow the Christian calendar rather than the, you know, uh, state calendar, yes. if, you, if you will. And Easter obviously being a part of that, you know, because you're telling a story.
1: Right. 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 Exactly right. Yeah. I mean, we'll just continue down, down that little rabbit trail. But yeah, our, our family purposely doesn't celebrate things like Labor Day. Mm-hmm. Sure. Right. Because. You anti-proletarian. <laughs> well, and, you know, the, a, a lot of these holidays are actually quite innocuous on the face sure. of them. Um, but the reason they're not innocuous to our family is that it's a competing story. Sure. Right. We've got more important things to do because the more important things are uh, emphasizing things like Christmas and right. Easter. And you don't have to be particularly high church or liturgical or really right. turned to the, to the Christian calendar as long as, you know, I, I, would, I would urge you to guide your family in living as if time belongs to Jesus Christ. Right. That's right? the key. And so if the only, if the only rhythm in your year is secular holidays plus Christmas, you should reconsider that. Sure. Your kids are gonna feel the rhythm of that. And if everyone is more excited about, let's take a good holiday, like Mm -hmm. an unequivocally good holiday, July 4th. Sure, If your kids are more excited about July 4th than, than say Easter, then you yeah, I, I would urge you to reconsider, recalibrate, but reweight it.
0: Exactly. And that's one of the ways that maybe sometimes it creeps up on us that we realize that we're telling a competing story. Yes. Right. And and we don't um we don't understand that um what we're actually doing when we tell those kind of competing stories. It yeah. is it is confusing.
1: And if we think about like, you know, it's it it's hard sometimes to think about making a sacrifice like that. Well, let's not pretend it wouldn't be a sacrifice, sure. right? Because, you know, your your mother in law expects you guys to visit on um, labor day or what? what's the one in the fall <laughs> uh,
0: labor uh, labor days in the fall you're talking memorial day or something or I,
1: I guess yeah okay i, I always confuse labor day uh, i'm part of my excuse will be my foreign i'm bringing <laughs> but i always confuse, confuse uh, labor day because i, I always want to put around may 1st oh, okay like, right. i know it's not may day but like in my head it's still in the spring anyway
0: sometimes uh, it we end up uh, confronted by, you know, grandma expects us, expects us to visit on certain things. So in other words, you're kind of going against the grain in order to sometimes hold these traditions. Right. But isn't that what an, an ethnic uh, – I mean, you know, we're talking exactly, about – Exactly, yes. So if you're Italian and you have these certain family traditions that, that – or Jewish or something that, you know, that conflict with what the rest of the world is doing. I mean, you think about a, a person who's Jewish and they celebrate Hanukkah versus you right. know, Christmas – then, you know, the rest of the world's kind of doing this thing uh, that you're doing something a little bit different. Right. But that's a way in which the people of God actually testify to the rest of the world yes. what story we're telling.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that so that's going to that's gonna reflect, uh, you know, a- everything that you do educationally as well. And I did finally find my point. Fabulous. Resurrection.
0: Resurrection. Okay.
1: So because we're talking about Easter. Uh, and so, you know, one of the things that we, we once we actually start, thinking of telling myths as if we were an ethne then and once we have that strong and robust particularly if we're in a church community that can do that too and i yeah. and and can really help our kids feel like they're part of a people that s- sets us free to take dominion of these other things and, and and to baptize, if you would, uh, these other things. Part of part of our problem is that you know, we've just accepted the bigger these narratives in the world which feel bigger. Right. Right. Yeah. But but if in fact we have the true myth and we're telling that and it shapes the identity of our family, then we can do things like celebrate Labor Day with a clear conscience because sure. we know it's not disruptive. It's just feeding more into our family identity, and that's great. Because, you know, we're American Christians and and this is super duper and it doesn't affect us by making us think of work in the wrong way or making us think of school or education in the wrong way. Um, You know, we've we've already got that well established. Our, Our culture is strong. And then within that, we can bring in these other things.
0: Yeah, and you you can baptize some of these other things as you're right. mentioning. And we could say that not just about um, the calendar and in in the rhythms of life, but we could say that about literature that we right. read or films that we watch. And and I I find that sometimes even Christian families fall into this trap um, of. Sanitizing the world and these other stories, their kids from these other stories. I don't want them to read these books or or watch these films. And I do think there's a certain age appropriateness to some of this. I mean, and and so I'm not discounting that, but the idea of sanitizing um, our children from these stories Really, um, it's because we failed to tell the real story the right, right way and be able to show where these stories are consistent with the true story and inconsistent with the true story. Yeah. So, a lot of times there are great talking points. And, and I think that's what um, Lewis was meaning by irrigating deserts, right? We don't want to be chopping down jungles, we need to be irrigating Deserts, so, you know, we, right. we need to be showing how these stories are real and consistent, bringing
1: new life. Right? So yep. you know, we 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 kill and you know and and we raise to life, Raised to life. Right? That's, I mean, that's what baptism is. Yep. And so so we we can do that with these other traditions, which may seem a little extraneous. But I think first we have to have that reset. Sure. Where, wow. We are we are so being a Christian means I'm part of this great myth, this yes. great story,
0: this great story, and it is uh, it is great because it is true. And mm-hmm. it's great because it is what guides every other story. Matter of fact, even a lot of the stories that are not true uh, or only partially true um, are simply echoing. And I think that's because it's in the human, you know, it's it's in our human DNA, if you will, um, to know these stories or to, to, to engage these stories because it is a reflection of the cosmos and the true story of, you know, Christ entering into the cosmos and the death, prone, resurrection.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So,
0: well folks. um, Easter is right around the corner. I hope that you and your family have a wonderful celebration, celebrating the resurrection of Christ. And I know we do that each Lord's Day, uh, but a special time of the year set aside. And so from all of us here at Kepler Education, want to uh, wish you a happy Easter.
1: And if your family has students at Kepler, have a great spring break. God
0: bless.